Welcome to this episode of the Business of Practice podcast, where we focus on the fiscal, financial, and sides of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode, we are talking about avoiding malpractice complaints with Dr. Cynthia McKenzie, a trust veterinarian with the AVMA. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Decra Veterinary Products. Dr. McKenzie, who earned her veterinary degree from Texas A&M University, has worked in private practice in California and Kentucky, as well as serving as a technical services veterinarian at Lichtpold and Merck Animal Health. At Merck, she also is the Associate Director of Learning and Development. Dr. McKenzie, who is a certified insights practitioner, joined the AVMA Trust staff in November of 2017. Thank you, Dr. McKenzie, for joining us on the Business of Practice podcast to talk about avoiding malpractice complaints. Thank you, Kim, for having me. Really um, appreciate it. And um, yeah, so this is um, always a, a topic that puts everybody in um, a sense of fear, but um, what, what we want to talk about today hopefully will alleviate some of those fears and give you some tips to, you know, think about as, as you go through your day-to-day practice. Well, and we know that even the word malpractice is scary for, you know, good veterinarians who work hard. But for this podcast, we know you have some ways to help veterinarians make sure they are doing the things that can keep them away from this word. And you have four principles to kind of help reduce malpractice or board complaints. So, Let's jump right in. And, and you said the first thing you want to discuss is good medicine. Yes, yes. So the these four principles, I'll just tell you the four principles and then we'll go into each one of them um, separately. But good, good medicine, practicing good medicine, keeping people and pets safe, good communication and good record keeping. Um, these are just the hallmarks of, of principles that the trust has identified over the years of reviewing malpractice claims as things that can help practitioners avoid the likelihood of a malpractice or a board complaint. So when it comes to practicing good medicine, we at the trust have identified the most common complaints that we see or claims um, per species. And I'll just start with small animal and then we'll end up um, with the equine because I believe most of your audience is is equine. Um, So when it comes to small animal, of course, surgery complications are lead the pack and the most common surgeries in small animal are spays and neuters. So those complications are, are at the top and anesthetic complications, so leaving the pop-off valve closed or um, not, in, you know, correct intubating, those types of things. Dentals, um, what we see related to dentals are extractions, consent for the number of extractions, so making sure that if you're going to be doing any kind of dentistry, regardless of species, really, that making sure that you have um, a good dental mapping and also a dental consent form. Bandage and cast complications, we definitely see claims related to these. And it's it's about giving the owners the right tools after the bandage or cast is put on. What are the expectations? What is it that they're supposed to be looking for? 
And so the claims that we see related to this are that the the, the veterinarian puts the bandage or cast on, and then two weeks later, the, the owner shows up and the leg is gangrene and they have to amputate it. And so really setting the expectation that, you know, these are the things you want to be looking for, watching for, and if there's any doubt at all, taking that bandage or cast off and starting over, really taking a good look at the skin and the lesions underneath the bandage or the cast. Medication complications and errors, those, of course, they definitely happen. And these are can usually um, involve a technician or a staff member. Um, and so these are these are all the most common types of small animal claims. And of course, miscommunication is a huge component of that, particularly in in today's times where we're dealing with pandemic um situations with curbside care and so with curbside care there's just another element where we can have a breakdown in communication and so that's what we're really seeing a lot in small animal practice but also in you know in mixed and in, in equine practice too so because so much of the communication is not happening face to face okay so let's talk about food animal complaints then the number one in claim that we see are shoot injuries. Um, pregnancy checks um, go in there, incorrect medications or vaccinations, surgery complications to herd consultations, um, the wrong, like I said, the wrong medication given to an entire herd or an entire flock. And so with food animal complaints, now we're talking about economic damages here so for an entire uh, group of animals and so those are the most common food animal complaints let's go to equine now and i'm going to end with pre-purchase exams because i want to tell the audience about some pre-purchase exam tips but by far pre-purchase exams are the number one equine complaint that we see some of the other ones um consent so the equine world is a is a different species of course and practicing in the equine world sometimes you're dealing with the owner themselves sometimes you're dealing with a third party agent sometimes you're dealing with a trainer and so you just never know who are you gaining consent from these lease um arrangements is that person um in charge of making the medical decisions for that horse or the original owner. So it's really, really important to understand who is making consent for the medical procedures that are being done um, on the horse. Rectal tears, we, we definitely see a fair number of claims related to rectal tears. And what we really, like to say is if you know if there's any any blood on on the sleeve you know really stop and investigate it make sure you're communicating with the owner hey this might be something really serious and um you know rec recommend referral you know they may they may not want to do it but at least you've documented and 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 let them know hey this might be a serious thing we definitely need to look into this a little bit further um, what we 
what we don't want to see with rectal tears is to just ignore it. Um, so any any little blood, you know, just just stop and investigate it. It might not be anything, but most of the times, especially most of the claims we see, it does end up being something. So um, just take the time to really investigate and communicate. Castrations, of course, this is the number one surgery performed in equine. So we definitely see a lot of castration claims, bleeding afterwards, complications, um, those types of things. Um, so again, establishing the good communication of expectation, what you should be seeing um, post-surgery. Corneal ulcers. When I was in practice, um, I would treat eye stuff for a day. And if I couldn't fix it, it went someplace else. Um, and it's kind of what I what I say with these corneal ulcer claims, you know, just know your limitations as a as a practitioner. And if it's not getting better, just recommend referral or send it send it to somebody else who um, does more eyes or as an or as an expert. So um, we see a fair number of those. Call it cases for sure. Of course, the number one sort of medicine um, issue with horses. Injection complications. Um, where this comes into play is vaccinations, of course, adverse events related to vaccination, but also we've had a few claims related to um, banamine injections, IM. Um, so making sure, you know, you've seen those horrible, horrible pictures, um, uh, with those clostridial myositis claim, um, cases. And so we've seen a, a couple of those. So it's just really important to make sure that owners understand, um, and have been told what are the potential side effects? What, what are they going to uh, expect? And again, when I was in practice, um, Every time I would go and vaccinate a, a, a horse or something, I would make sure that the owner was aware that this horse may or may not be normal, you know, in a few hours or the next day. That, you know, we're about ready to give a lot of um, vaccines. We're about ready to stimulate the immune system. So for lack of a better term, I would tell them that the sky is going to fall tomorrow and make sure that they were prepared that they knew that something was maybe going to be wrong with this horse tomorrow. But it was always those ones where I didn't tell them that the sky was going to fall tomorrow and the sky did. And then they were like, whoa, wait a minute, you know, what happened here? <laughs> so it's all about just keeping those lines of communication um, open. So let's circle back to um, pre-purchase exams and just want to bring up a few tips about pre-purchase exams. Um, you know, we we see on average, and and I would say I review on average maybe one pre-purchase exam claim uh, a, every week or two, and that doesn't mean that that the trust um, necessarily pays out on these claims. It's just that we we um, we review a number of these of these claims, and if you think about it. When somebody spends, you know, it doesn't even have to be a lot of money for a horse, even if it's just a little money, if it was a lot of money to them, 
Um, and then six months later, the horse is lame or isn't able to perform what they had purchased it for. Really, the only person that they can go back to is the veterinarian that did the the exam. And so that's why I think we see a fair, fair number of these. Um, and so over the years, the trust has compiled a list of things that can help practitioners just dot those I's and cross those T's when it comes to doing these reports. Um, and so the number one thing with pre-purchase exams is avoiding conflicts of interest. And I, I say, just say no. You know, recommend somebody else. Um, if you are not comfortable with the situation at all um, and, you know, you have done work on this horse before, things like that, just walk away from these situations. Um, that, I would say, most of our claims, a lot of, you, you could avoid um, what comes down the road if if you had just, you know, avoided the conflict of interest. Documenting that all the parties waive conflict of interest if they, you know, if they still want to proceed or, or just, like I said, decline the entire assignment. Getting, um, obtaining permission to disclose complete metal hi medical histories and pre-existing conditions. Again, documenting omissions and non-compliance with this, but that's also really, really important. And then you cannot document enough when it comes to a pre-purchase exam. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, document just everything, uh, especially buyer um, declinations of procedures such as radiographs or drug testing, things like that. Um, and then making sure that you document the communication between all the parties. So if there's a seller or a buyer, if there's agents, if there's trainers, and just keeping track of who said what in, in all of these. And this includes phone calls, electronic communications, text messages, verbal conversations, and you know, really recommend that if you don't normally operate with a technician or something that on the days that you do pre-purchase exams, maybe this is a good time to, to have one with you, making sure that everything is being um, documented just even from a third party's ear. Uh, positively identi identify the horse. You would be so surprised that this has come up in some claims. Um, so this is where technology is your friend, taking the videos, taking the pictures, making sure that the that the potential buyer understands how tall the horse is. We actually had a claim related to that, that um, the owner bought the horse and it was shipped. And when it shipped across um, the country and arrived, the, or, the owner um, that or the buyer was shocked at uh, how small the horse was. And so they turned it back. Um, ensuring the accuracy as much as you can about the age of the horse, tattoo registration papers, dental arcades, microchips, those types of things. Um, documenting whether you can observe a scar, a surgical scar from maybe a, a previous colic surgery on there. 
And then taking good radiographs. If you're going to be taking radiographs, make sure they're good quality and that they're diagnostic. Um, obtaining a, a dish, additional documented opinions. So if you do have a question about some of the radiographs or lesions and you get a second opinion, make sure that is put into the report. And then the thing about the report is that you really want to take the time to review the results and make sure that the, the potential buyer has the actual written report within a reasonable time. Um, and I would say that that's within 24 to 48 hours of the actual pre-purchase exam. And if this is an absentee buyer, then making sure that you document some sort of verification that they received it. So if you send it by snail mail, then send it certified mail so that they have to actually sign for it. Or if it's emailed that you use the function read receipt so that you know that it was in fact um, read because we have had some claims where they said, oh, well, I never received the report. I never I never read it or it was never discussed. Um, you can consider doing a pre-purchase exam liability release agreement. Of course, that would be done with your attorney. Um, we those, you know, again, just an extra layer of protection. And, and then, like I said before, a pre-sale photography or video for confirmation of the horse. If you recommend drug testing, um, making sure that those, those blood samples are drawn and um, stored appropriately and, um, and, and that if they are declining the drug testing, that again, you document that. Decra Veterinary Products is proud to sponsor Equimanagement's The Business of Practice podcast. Decra's equine product line includes Osphos, Clotinate Injection, Orthocon Vet IREP 10 and 60, Osteocon PRP, Equidone Gel, Thumperidone, the Vetivex line of parenteral fluids, Vicox EQ Joint Supplement, and a comprehensive line of topical dermatologic products. The recent addition of Zymeta, Diaperone Injection, further expands Decra's equine offerings. For more information about Decra's products, please visit decra-us.com. I did have a question on the pre-purchase. How do they get that information from the AVMA? You said you had a, a document. Yes, um, so you can ask us for a, a hard copy. And then on our website, we do have resources. We have um, all kind, all of our newsletters, and all of this information has actually been in a in our previous newsletters. Um, and then, if you go to AAP, a lot of that information is actually presented at AAP. We've made several presentations um, regarding malpractice claims and things like that. So, um, okay, so we've talked about good medicine. We've touched a little bit on on communication, but I really, I want to get to um, another principle, <clears throat> which is near and dear to my heart, which is keeping people and pets um, safe. So as a veterinary professional, we 
are responsible for doing just that. It is it is our responsibility. And and so I always, when we're talking to vet students about, about this issue, and I tell them, look, you might be a little intimidated as a, as a new grad. And some owners may try to tell you, hey, I can restrain my own animal or I can hold hold this horse or, you know, you don't need to twitch this horse stock or, you know, whatever. Just make sure that you are comfortable with the amount of restraint because it is it's it's important for your safety but everybody else's safety around it and so human injury claims they represent about four percent of all the claims that we see in into the plit program so they're not a huge percentage however they have some big payouts or they can have some big payouts um, and this is why we always recommend that you take some of those higher limits of coverage. Um, even if you're, you know, in small animal practice and the value of your animals isn't maybe what it is in equine, we always recommend those higher limits and it's because of human injury claims. So it's mainly what we see are bites from dogs or, or cats or, scat or scratches from cats um, and then kicks from horses or, or shoot injuries with, with large animals. And so just be super careful. And like I said, I know we're always in a hurry. Gotta get to the next call, we're running behind. It's usually when it happens, but just take the time to just regroup. If some, some issue with an animal isn't going the way that you necessarily want it to, then, um, you know, regroup, more sedation, get some more help and restraining, that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> so that's mainly what, what we see when it comes to this principle of keeping people and, and pets safe. So um, any questions there? No, I mean, that sounds like a good idea. I know during the pandemic, there have been several surveys and it seems that veterinarians, because of the pandemic, are taking assistance along more with horses or having owners drop horses off at the clinic and then using their trained technical staff to restrain horses. So maybe that's something we can keep going uh, with veterinarians, you know, as we move forward, because I know, like you said, it's there's not a lot of claims of that. But, you know, if someone gets hurt, not only do you feel bad, but it, it can be a liability claim. Well, it, exactly. And so what we see when it comes to standard of care with with large animals, it, it still is considered standard of care to have owners restrain. And but like like you said, the more we can do to work towards not having them restrain their own animals is a win-win for everybody. Now, in small animal medicine, we do consider it below the standard of care to have your owners restrain your own animals. And so in these in these exam rooms, you know, we we even have, and you'll probably notice in, in some vet clinics, you know, they, they already put the sign up on the door, please let our staff um, res restrain your animal for the procedures. Um, and it's because of this human injury situation. 
and let the trained professionals um, hold hold the animal. And and a lot of vet clinics, in fact, the vet clinic where I take um, my dog, even before COVID, they would take the dog back to the exam, uh, back to the 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 workroom back there to do the procedure. So even take the dog physically out of the room and then bring it back. And so, like I said, anything that you can do to minimize owners holding or restraining their own animals, just kind of staying away from the procedure is a win-win for everybody. I know at times in small animal, this can be challenging because owners feel like, you know, oh, Fluffy's going to do the best with me holding and, you know, just make it your hospital policy and just say, I'm sorry, this is our hospital policy. Um, so, yeah, okay. So, and now um, I want to move on to talking about um, the next principle, which is record keeping. And historically, um, mixed and large animal practitioners uh, don't have as good medical records, and I can say this because I know my medical records probably weren't as good as they used to be, or they should have been, but um, but try to do better with this, really. If you have a technician, see, utilize your technician to help you with this. Try to go to a digital format, um, anything that you can do to really help you document everything that's happening. Um, so record keeping is the number one violation by state boards. So you might get a board complaint for some other issue. And I liken this to like being stopped by the police for a speeding ticket. They might let you off for the speeding ticket, but now they have access to your license, your registration, your insurance, and they're gonna look through all of that and they might issue a citation for one of those. Well, it's the same thing with these state boards. They might look at your, your complaint and say, okay, we're gonna let you off for the complaint, but now they have access to look at all of your medical records. And so the state boards, um, you know, that this is the number one violation. So they like to see medical records still in the, that SOAP format, subjective, objective, assessment, and plan. So it doesn't have to be as, as extensive as when we were in veterinary school, but really keeping it in that SOAP format and documenting all aspects of the exam and all treatment that was recommended and not just what was approved so when we talk to our network of attorneys, they say that some of the strongest pieces of evidence are the declined estimates. Um, so keep those in the file. Those rejected estimates, they should definitely be saved. And then of course, consent forms. And I know that this doesn't happen a lot in equine practice, but again, the more that we can move to this this area of consent and informed consent, um, making sure that owners are aware about what's about ready to happen when it comes to anesthesia um, or any procedure. Um, and like I said, with vaccinations, making sure that they're aware that adverse events you know, can happen. And so record keeping is, is definitely, um, I know can be challenging, especially for ambulatory 
veterinarians, but uh, utilize your technicians. They can, they can help you a ton with that. And so while we're on the topic of board complaints, the number one reason for board complaints is failed expectations and bad outcomes. And when we talk to our network of um, attorneys, they say this, this reason starts long before somebody ever files the complaint. And so it, it goes with this, with, with the last principle, which is communication. Are you following up with your lab results? Again, have you communicated what's gonna happen when you deliver a vaccine? Have you gained consent? And oh, if you're gonna do extractions, have you gained consent for the number of extractions? You know, monitoring after surgical procedures. And of course, you know, medical errors and fee disputes, those are always going to happen. Um, but yeah, this failed expectations and bad outcome reason, you know, really, we, we, we need to do better, I think, at, at communicating some of these things up, up front. Um, and so the last principle is, of course, communication. And when we talk to veterinary students, we're, we always really say that this life skill is going to take you far. Continue to hone it. And there's really good evidence. We're all evidence-based scientists. Well, there's really good evidence to say that good communication can help minimize the likelihood of a board complaint or a malpractice claim. And we see that because we did a study um, of some of our claims uh, process and the component of communication that represented some of those claims, it was upwards of 65% of those claims. Now, we think in talking to some of the state boards and some of our network of attorneys that that number is even higher. So what does that say? Yes, that's a really high number when it comes to communication, but the silver lining and the flip side is we can do something about it. So that means that we can always try to practice the soft skill. Use that reflective listening. Make sure that your recipient of what you're saying, uh, that they understand, you know, rephrase what, what you're saying, making sure that you stop and, and ask them, do you, what questions do you have for me? Um, things, things of that nature. And then making sure things are not only a, um, said in person, but then you also follow it up with the written communication. Now, nowhere is communication more important than when a medical error is actually made. Um, that's where we see, um, you know, the rubber meet the road. And so the fact that if you've been practicing your soft skill of communication all along, then even when a medical error is made, then the way that you handle that situation can really oftentimes determine whether it does end up in a board complaint or a malpractice claim. So, okay, those are the, those are the four principles. And again, just to summarize, um, practice good, good medicine. You know, we all learned a lot of these things in, in veterinary school. Just 
just keep up on them. Keep the continuing education going. Um, keeping people and pets safe. Um, making sure that you're comfortable with the, the restraint. Good record keeping. Um, making sure that you're, you're keeping um, everything that's documented or communicated in whatever form using a system that can compile all of that. And then finally, that principle of good, good communication. Well, those are some great tips, no matter if you're a mixed animal, large animal, equine, whatever. Yeah. I mean, that these all can keep your practice healthier as far as the business perspective, because it keeps you away from these complaints. So that's, uh, those are some great tips. So we really appreciate you joining us, Dr. McKenzie, on the Business of Practice podcast. And we want to thank our audience for joining us for this podcast. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Decker Veterinary Products. Please visit Equimanagement or your favorite podcast network, such as iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, to hear each episode of the Business of Practice for Veterinarians. And if you have any questions or suggestions, you can send me an email at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown, at aimmedia.com. The Business of Practice podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network. <laughs>